didn't see it coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. The other day, I was reading a story that caught my eye. It was about the growing irrelevance and crisis of confidence happening in advertising. Now, those are pretty strong words, and that's what caught my eye and caused me to read on. The story was penned by a gentleman named Andrew Cardi, and this caught my eye, too, because Andrew and I had a common pedigree. We had both worked at Gray. Andrew now runs a company called Send and Receive, and the gist of his story was that advertising was having a crisis of confidence. We no longer believed in our own business. Now, I don't want to give away the whole story because I actually managed to find Andrew Carty and grab him in his busy schedule for a few minutes to talk to us about what he was writing in the story, what his point of view is on advertising and the state of advertising, and where he thinks it's going to go. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mark. Take us through the story, because I thought it was a fascinating read, and as somebody who comes from advertising and struck out on his own, I thought there were a lot of points that really spoke to me. Well, thanks, Mark. I think that the the real gist, uh, the gist of the of the of the article was, I think that the the advertising business has sort of lost its way in, in what it's all about. Um, you know, fundamentally, this business is to help our clients, help um, companies sell things, um, and I think increasingly, agencies. Um, the people who run them, um, sort of the, the, the industry itself is sort of advocating that responsibility uh, of selling things and saying, you know, well, let's create engagement. Um, let's drive impressions. Let's, let's do these other things that, um, you know, maybe aren't necessarily, uh, related directly to sales. And I think that that's, uh, that's kind of, a. Uh, a big problem with the business. It, it's also it's also something internal, isn't it? I mean, are there a lot of people in advertising uh, who are looking at this, going, "Is this really the thing that I want to do with my life, or do I want to be building new stuff?" It is true. I mean, I do think there is. They say every copywriter uh, it has a movie script, right? Mm-hmm. That they're working on, and I think that there is some of that. There's, you know, people are sort of. Um, romanticizing the tech business these days and they want to build digital products and, and people want to be uh, writers or artists or, or other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do think there is a bit of, you know, people sort of saying, um, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't um, exactly what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, I think some, um, uh, some hope that there's some kind of higher purpose in the business. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, keeping the wheels of, of uh, capitalism and commerce uh, oiled is um, is probably a, a good purpose. It's 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 funny because uh, hearing you talk, it just makes me think that the the business collectively or the powers that be that have set these sort of paradigms of success in place. Uh, our paradigms are impressions and 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 um, um, number of clicks. Things like that, they just need a collective slap in the head, and they, re- they would need to be reminded that we need to get back to a more fundamental, which is we need to take a look at a client's product, what it does extremely well, figure out how to align that with folks who want something like that, and sell the heck out of it. And it's, it's that simple. And maybe we've overcomplicated ourselves in an effort to charge clients more money. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. I think that is fundamentally what, what we need to do. I think that um, really kind of getting to the root of what 
you know, makes the product or service we're working on different and figuring out the most compelling way to sell that is, is our responsibility. And I think in the world today, you know, who has capital? Um, it's certainly, you know, um, financial capital, it's not consumers anymore. We've seen the debt numbers. It's, you know, it's not governments, it's, it's these brands and they have the power to, to shape culture. Um, so I think that, you know, if, if they come up with the compelling reason to sell it, people will follow. And I think there's, there's tons of examples of, of that, right? A great product, um, you know, the story told in a, in a beautiful way um, is a recipe for success. And it's pretty, it sounds pretty simple, but I think it's that simple. It's, it's one of those funny things. I always use this phrase. It's, it, it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, now that it brings to mind, uh, this anecdote that I heard, uh, where an advertising boss goes to his client and says, you know, you've been keeping our budgets the same or cutting them back every year. Uh, what are you running out of money? Are you in trouble? And the client said, no, I got a huge war chest. And when you can prove that what you're doing is moving the needle, I'd gladly unlock it for you. And I think that that is a lot of what's happening. People are looking at um, all the options they have for getting consumers to buy their stuff. And they're looking at advertising going, going well, we got to do it. But do we actually have to boost our budget doing it? Do we have to do more of it? Or do we just have to maintain? Maybe it's gone from an attitude of escalating, which it used to be, to just maintaining, just in order to have the status quo. Because they don't quite know what to do with their ad budget. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think part of that is what I was trying to get at earlier in terms of, you know, if agencies don't use sales as a metric, uh, it is hard to then a determine ROI, but also get markers to really believe in it and invest in it if that's not what we're using as kind of our bottom line, right? Um, But and, And then second of all, yeah, I think that the world has become, you know, a bit cautious, a bit kind of uh, defensive. And and to your point, I mean, I think that it does take uh, a bit of a risk taker to say, I think I have an opportunity to grow this uh, and I'm going to try and make incremental gains. And I, I think I need to do really powerful and, and kind of daring work versus, you know what, if we just keep it the status quo, um, we can maintain our share. We won't disturb anything. We won't lose share, certainly. Uh, and... Uh, and my, you know, all jobs will be safe. Now, how much of this is a factor of the democratization and commoditization of technology by which you can create advertising? Let me say that in simple words instead of $10 words. Um, I can go out with my camera and shoot a relatively good-looking commercial, and then I can pop it into my Mac and edit it and put some sound on it, and hey, presto, I've got a commercial for my startup. And if I make it really, really uh, sassy and a little bit risque, it might get a million viral views, or at least, at least that's, my, that's my holy grail. 99.9% of us never get to that, but that's our dream. Now, how many advertisers are looking at that going, why the heck am I buying something from a, a Madison Avenue agency for a billion dollars if I could make it for myself for free? Yeah, I think that's an increasingly large problem for the business for sure, right? It is easier and easier to make stuff. I think that's actually, you know, that's a pretty progressive point of view that you have there. And I think that a lot of agencies don't even have that, right? We're still stuck in the model of, at least in this country, it has to be a $250,000 shooter. It's not kind of worth doing. Um, and, and I don't think that's realistic anymore. To your point, there's so much top-down pressure on clients' budgets. The fact that agencies haven't figured out a way to relieve some of that pressure on the on the other end is crazy. Yeah. So just to do things the same way, I mean, I, you know, I think that the production companies are 
are are really struggling to try and figure out how to how to do this. But there are there are a couple of people who've come out and said, yeah, we can help you guys make a pretty good spot for eighty thousand bucks, which you know was unheard of uh, even a couple of years ago. Yeah. Now let's let's talk about your aha moment. I mean, I, I've 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 spoken about mine in in my book. Didn't see it coming, which is also why I I was so attracted to your story because it's something that I wrote about. I, I had a sort of this epiphany and a crisis of confidence in advertising, and I went away from it. Uh, you had a, an epiphany. You had a sort of a moment, and you started a new company. So yeah. tell me tell me about your crisis of confidence moment. Your epiphany. Your come to Jesus. I think it was, you know, just as, as, uh, and, and perhaps as like you, as I became kind of more senior in the traditional agency ranks and, and kind of understood how the, the business made money and understood its strengths and weaknesses. I realized that I think there were a lot of things wrong with the model and a, and a lot of things needed to change. And, you know, changing a hundred year old organization that has fundamentally worked the same way for the last 50 years is a pretty tough thing to do, particularly when, you know, it's owned by a global holding company that doesn't want it to change, wants it to be the exact same and delivering, you know, deliver exactly what it did in the years before. And I think that as, as clients, um, the interesting clients who are trying to do interesting things are asking us to change the output of what we make. I think we, I realized we had to change the way we operate, um, that you can't, you know, fundamentally change kind of the thinking and the output of, of what the company does without changing the way it works. Right. Um, so that was, you know, and again, changing the way a hundred year old company works is a pretty hard thing to do. So I think it was really about saying, okay, let's start from scratch. So let's kind of purpose build this to what clients needs are today. Um, and, and, and hopefully then, you know, it's a much simpler streamlined process, um, for where we can, um, you know, where we can deliver on the client needs, uh, in the right way. Right. That was, that was just, uh, that was just the guys at gray dialing you up and saying there that they want to talk to you, I think, right. That little bing. Excuse that. Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, that, yeah, that was that was the holding company that just called. Yeah, exactly. um, uh, you're being monitored. Right now. You're being monitored exactly. You just got a shock to the neck. Um, the, I want to talk about um, the whole idea of core product versus consumer insight in a second. But first, I want to. I want to. I don't want. I'm not going to let you off that that quickly on the whole idea of agencies being in maintenance mode versus innovation mode. And you and I had this conversation earlier. Um, you know, I introduced a stat where the majority of companies prior to World War II and just after World War II were run by engineers and innovators and guys and gals who made stuff. And increasingly what happened, the CFO gained prominence and Wall Street became more important. And we all know that the main thing that North America America makes right now is complicated financial schemes. We don't build as much stuff as we used to. And so when the bean counters started to take over the, the, the CEO positions, we went from a, a, a mindset of innovating and creating stuff and joy of innovation to let us just keep the bottom line running at all costs. So it went from innovation to maintenance. Now, you had a pretty strong point of view on that, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and with all due respect to the bean counters who run the, the businesses now, I mean, they're really smart people. Obviously, Martin, Sir Martin Sorrell has mm-hmm. done really well for himself, and he's a very um, cunning, uh, cunning businessman. But you know, fundamentally, I think when the organization is run 
um, with a kind of financial point of view in mind, that's the um, that's the 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 point of view that the organization is going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as as you look at the landscape today in this country, you know the agencies that are doing the best work that are um, that are doing um, you know changing their 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 clients' business are those run by creative people? Are those runs by the people who who understand business problems but understand how creative creativity can make them better? So if you look at the Zacks mm-hmm. or you look at the Rethinks or you know even from a kind of a big shop mentality, kind of the Leo Burnett's of this world run by a creative person, um, you know I think that's. Uh, that's where you're seeing kind of great gains in the business. And I, and I'd suggest that, yeah, you know, those are kind of organizationally, um, you know, uh, those are organizations that have a fun, fundamentally different point of view because it comes from their leadership. So, I mean, as great as, as it is, and as kind of, you know, as great as, as it has been for some people and shareholders, um, I don't necessarily think it's great for clients all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, what you've got is a company that that uh, its prime uh, reason to exist is to maintain the profit margin, and that that I mean, there's risks inherent in trying new stuff, and that's what communication should be because people get bored of the old stuff, so we have to innovate. But if our prime focus is just maintenance, then it sort of starts to take the shine off trying new risky things. Yeah, we're not in the maintenance business, right? We're in the creation business, mm-hmm. and. And yeah, uh, the the way that holding companies are set up are to sort of um, maintain clients, maintain share, um, and, and kind of maintain kind of the status quo. Uh, but yeah, I think the business is actually designed. It's kind of reason for being is to to create things and to create new ways of thinking and to um, uh, to change you know kind of change the future. So uh, absolutely, uh, it does seem like it's. Um, th- those are ideas that are sort of opposed to each other. Right. Yeah. Now you had a, a fascinating point of view. All of us have watched car commercials, and it's a classic car commercial: car goes left, car goes right, car goes over hill through the rain. Um, we've all seen the beer commercials, you know, beach scene, bikini bodies, or sporting events. We've all seen these commercials, and we're saying, well, it's no surprise why people in advertising have a crisis of confidence because all the stuff looks the same. And you had a really interesting perspective on why that happens. Well, I mean, one of the reasons I think that happens is because oftentimes um, uh, we're working on um, the same um, same pieces of research. So what happens is, you know, you go and you do consumer research and says, well, people kind of want uh, to feel this way or want to look this way. And everybody kind of makes the same work. And we're kind of more focused on really product or brand driven um, advertising product or, or kind of business driven advertising, I'll say, which is let's really understand fundamentally the product, what it does, how it was made, why it's better, why it's different from everything else out there, and start from there and lead the consumer to our point of view and to the thing that we're trying to sell, as opposed to trying to say, okay, what does the kind of consumer want and how do we then kind of shift our product to that? I think that. You know, brands and businesses have kind of lost the uh, maybe it is kind of confidence to say this is a great product, this thing that we work on, and let's tell our story in a really compelling way, and people will come. As opposed to say, you know, what do people want, and then how do we try and kind of craft this to fit their needs? 
and, and eventually you kind of get lifestyle work that um, everybody is uh, where everybody's kind of doing the same thing. It, it's wild because, I mean, I remember working um, at one, actually one of the incarnations of Grey that I was supposed to go work at in Europe. And uh, I remember a creative director, no less, telling me that when we shot this certain orange juice commercial or when we crafted the commercial that we had to include a shot inside the refrigerator as the person looks in, looks to the left, no, looks to the right, no, looks to the middle, sees our orange juice, grabs it, and we go, that is the most boring shot in the whole world. She goes, yeah, but it tested really well. They're actually crafting their commercials by what consumers wanted shot by shot. And I'm going, how the hell does a consumer know they want a looks left, looks right, looks in the... And I'm, I thought I, I had finally stepped into the lunatic asylum. And she, with a straight face, a creative director, not a research director, told me that was what was going into the shot. I quit that agency shortly thereafter. But I think the, the whole what consumers want thing has, has not gotten much better. People are still, you know, crafting shots and crafting commercials based on what the research says. Yeah, and from a copy testing point of view, it's absolutely insanity. I mean, I you know, I'm a planner by trade, so I love research, but I love research way upstream where I can learn stuff from people that hopefully other people aren't learning, and we can figure out how to turn that into a really compelling, um, you know, positioning for the for the product. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, I love research. Copy testing, you know, creative. I think is crazy. You know, I think the great creative works. We've We've uh, always, you know, that from any medium over the course of time, um, come from, you know, a vision of somebody creating something great. And, and I think that testing any of these great works would have kind of diluted it and made it not great. I mean, there's the famous line from Henry Ford that if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, a great example, uh, of a kind of a contemporary company right now, particularly in the last kind of week or so is Nintendo. I mean, you know, the Nintendo Wii was a thing that came out while everybody was racing the kind of faster processors and better graphics. The Nintendo Wii came out and said, we're going to get people to interact with their games and, and the whole family will be able to play with their bodies. And it was the number one selling thing at Christmas two years in a row. And, and then most recently, I don't know how familiar you are with the Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Oh, yeah. My kids were out hunting all around the neighborhood last night. Yeah, right? I mean, this is, again, a company, Nintendo, who is who has changed mobile gaming uh, and did it kind of overnight. And this is a 125-year-old trading card company from Tokyo yeah. that, that is, has reinvented both the console game, um, you know, 10 years ago and now the, the, the mobile game. And I think that, you know, they said, what do we do? We make uh, games for families. We make games for, for any uh, age, any kind of um, anybody who wants to play. And we make it, you know, fun and interactive when we like people to be active doing it. And, and they've, they've, you know, absolutely turned kind of culture on its head in the last week or so doing so. Right. Right. Now, I'm also, you know, I work increasingly in tech, and I see the insanity of testing uh, driven by data. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, 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 one, the one anecdote I always use is everybody talked about the green button versus the red button. If you want people to click on your offer, we've you can test green versus red buttons and see which one works best. And I'm going... But what if the offer sucks? What if what if the product sucks? What if everything surrounding the green button and red button suck? And it takes me back to um, when technologists and researchers get together, bad things happen. I mean, I think what I so read something the other day that how how we're going, you know, coming to like a common UX, right? Like every site kind of works the exact same way now. Every site looks the same because there's these sort of 
best practices and principles people run by. And yeah, probably some of that data driven stuff. I, I, you know, I, I, we do a bit of development, not tons of it. Um, I mean, my point of view is I think that you want the, you obviously want it to be super usable and functional and people to kind of know where to go. But at the same point, yeah, I mean, I think people should be trying different things and doing things to make their sort of user experience stand out the same way that their product or their, their communication does too. Right. I don't think you want it to be, kind of the same as everybody else's. You know, it's it's funny because um, you, you look at websites, and I, I worked with a website theme company for a while, and uh, you get the standard template for the website. You have the bold statement up top. As you scroll down, you see a photo that then uh, stays uh, static while the copy rolls up over top of it. Then you've got three little boxes underneath, which are supposed to give you the benefits. And then you go down, and you're going, I feel like I'm walking through a Home Depot. It's very reassuring to know that the tools are in the same section Every single time. But my God, when they all look like that, and they will, because it's incredibly cheap, and so why wouldn't you use that template? Yeah. Uh, when they all look like that, it's it's like in The Incredibles. When we're all super, then nobody will be super. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it, it does. It becomes, again, kind of the way that communication has gone to a let's do kind of consumer lifestyle stuff based on what we, how we think people want to feel and kind of who their aspirational selves are. Um, and then it all looks the same. It's yeah. probably kind of the same problem in UX, right? Where it's exactly, it's, yeah, absolutely. exactly. So now let's talk about send and receive. Uh, this is this is your new agency. You've got a startup. You're you're forging off in a brave new direction. Tell me a little bit about send and receive. Um, I think we wanted we you know we started because we realized that there were a lot of things that traditional AORs weren't very good at and were um, um, struggled to execute. Um, and that's for kind of big brands, uh, but that's also for the smaller client and the kind of the mid-sized client who wants, you know, really talented senior people, but doesn't want to pay for this kind of global agency overhead. Um, and, and we realized there was an opportunity for a bit of a sweet spot there. As I was saying earlier, I think it was about trying to understand modern client needs and then kind of sell against that. So, so, so to, to understand, you know, the financial pressures uh, of, of the, of the kind of the agency client world today to understand kind of the talent pressures of the agency client world today, um, to understand kind of what the, the shifting kind of output and what agencies are being asked to make, not only from kind of a digital social perspective, but also getting more into that innovation kind of place because traditional agencies aren't very good at that because it's, you know, it's takes a long time and it's expensive. So, um, I think that it was really kind of a reaction to, Hey, it's 2016 agencies haven't changed in a hundred years. Um, and can we build a better agency, um, suited to, to the world today? So, you know, fundamentally changing some of the ways we operate, uh, you know, not, we're not, we don't bill hours. Uh, we bill, we bill on output. Um, I always thought that was a funny way to start a relationship. Um, when we're both trying to, you know, get to the same place in terms of creating a, a campaign or an output and the agency would say, well, we want to sell you a thousand hours and a client. We won't say, well, we want to sell you 800 and you're, you're already starting the relationship on a, uh, you know, on a, on a place where there's, you know, such the same point of view where we'd rather say, okay, what are we trying to make and what do we think it's worth? And then, you know, let's just, we'll, we'll get there, whatever it takes to get there. Well, it just, uh, it, it just seems insane because what you're doing, I am being encouraged as the agency to add superfluous activities, you know, five focus groups when I only need three, uh, for example, because I need to fill hours. And then, uh, and then the client is right out of the gate mistrustful that what the agency is doing is absolutely vital. They think, well, they might just want to be burning some hours for me. Yeah, absolutely. It creates this sort of adversarial relationship. And it's also funny where, you know, I think that every other, every other kind of commercial interaction somebody will have with, 
they want somebody to do it faster, right? If it's somebody renovating your house, if it's getting your dry cleaning done, whatever the case may be, um, if somebody can do it faster, you want, even for the same price, you want that uh, service provider to do it. Um, yes. So we're trying to operate on a model where, you know, senior talent and, and not so focused on stretching out hours, we can get to solutions much faster, which helps clients get to market faster, which, you know, again, in 2016, 2017 is, is, is pretty important how, how quickly we can get to market. But now it brings up the fundamental question. Um, if you're billing on outputs uh, or, or on outcomes, um, how can you bill on an outcome that they sold more stuff when it's a big client and there's so many moving pieces, they could just point to, yeah, you did a good job, but we also increased our distribution network or we changed the formulation a little bit. How can you take credit for and therefore get paid based on that yeah, outcome? I mean, so right now, kind of most of our engagements have been on just kind of, well, let's, let's figure out what the output will be in terms of what the agency is going to make mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of go from there. So not necessarily on... Um, on kind of performance-based stuff. Yeah, we've been, we've had a couple of discussions about that, but um, it's mostly been about kind of what the agency output will be. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really tricky question um, because you could make the most interesting thing in the world, the greatest campaign in the world, the most compelling reason to sell a product, and uh, you know, and your brand um, has an E. coli scare or something, right? And then and then what happens to kind of the agency conversation there? Um, um, or so, yeah. even, I mean, I, I worked on I worked on fast food, a quick serve restaurants, and uh, you can have the most brilliant campaign in the world, and who is standing at the counter? You know, and you're going, well, there you go. I'm not going to sell burgers with them standing at the counter. And there's no way I can control that because I'm marketing. I'm not sales. I'm not operations. Uh, you know, it, it almost begs that age, uh, agencies like Send and Receive go after clients that are a little bit smaller where you actually can control more and be responsible for more innovation in things like operations. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've had some really uh, cool uh, opportunities with some clients who are, are essentially owner-operators who want you know, creative thinking throughout the organization and will create an engagement where they'll, they'll be happy for us to think about anything. Uh, and it's, and it's, you know, it kind of is a win-win situation for kind of us and them in terms of getting some really, you know, hopefully some smart people in thinking about their business, not just from a kind of a communication phase, but you know, what could we do from a packaging design or a, or a, or a sort of a product design thing to, to get to a better place. So, you know, it's, that's pretty hard to do in a kind of a big CPG company or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, those people, those, those companies have innovation, um, you know, division. So, um, who often don't work with agencies. So, um, th that's sort of harder to do, but yeah, absolutely. And these kind of smaller entrepreneurial clients that we've been able to work with, um, uh, those have been actually really satisfying engagements also just because you see the passion of the client, right? I mean, this is their life. So right. it gets pretty exciting. But maybe that just goes right back to the essential point that if it's going to be about innovation and trying new stuff, you have to work with the mammals and not the dinosaurs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, kind of building our shop, we're better able to do that, I think, because of the way we can the structure the team and bill it, um, it you know, can be a bit more flexible than a, a traditional agency model where, you know, you have to sort of pay for layers, pay for 20% global uh, profit margin, pay for 15%, you know, mm -hmm. local, uh, you know, downtown loft space, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of built. So, um, we take a lot of the pressure off our, um, off our bottom line, which, which helps us pass that to the client. I am fascinated by send and receive and Andrew Carty. How do I get a hold of you? 
Uh, well, sendreceive.ca is our site, uh, and the, the way to contact us is on there. Uh, also, there's a you know you can learn some of our fundamental principles, see some of our work, um, and that's probably the, the best way to do it. Yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time in your busy day. Thanks so much, Mark. Truly appreciate it. You betcha. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-O-I-B-E-R.com. Have a good one.